0: Happy Mother's Day. I know that Mother's Day can run the gamut of emotions, and that um, some uh, moms are really happy today. Graduating seniors, we did it, yes. And um, some of us are um, struggling. And so I've written a prayer that sometimes when the gamut of emotions happen that we just don't have words for. And I'd like to invite you into um, this prayer if if it reflects the genuine authentic um, part of your heart then join me if not you can um, just pray silently for moms today but I would invite you to join me Lord we ask that you comfort the mothers who are suffering today those who have children who are suffering who are lost or who have died for those in war-torn countries for those escaping war May your peace and comfort be theirs today. Hear our prayer. Lord, for mothers who have experienced frustration and despair and infertility, Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, for mothers who have given up their children for adoption and for mothers who have adopted children and loved them fiercely, Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, for the single mom who might feel as if she's doing it all alone, may she feel the strong embrace of community and family. Lord, hear our prayer. And Lord, for those who mother by mentoring and caregiving, teaching, counseling, advising, and spiritually nurturing us, Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, for mothers who give sacrificially of their time and their talent and treasure with joy to raise the next generation of children in this church and outside of this church. Lord, hear our prayer. And Lord, for the joy and the comfort and love that our mothers bring to us, we are grateful. Lord, hear our prayer. And Lord Jesus, who wishes to gather all your people together, As a mother hen gathers in her brood, we offer to you our prayers. Accept the gratitude for all who mother, bless all who mother, and give our mothers your comfort and strength. Help all of us, brothers and sisters, to be your family on earth as we
1: will be in heaven. Amen. Well, everyone, we are hiking through the book of Acts together. And this week we're reaching the medical tent on our hike. See, last week where we left off, remember right at the end of the passage, it said there was a a time of peace in Jerusalem from persecution. Suddenly they got a break from all of that persecuting of Christians that was going on in Jerusalem. So in our passage this week, the Apostle Peter is going to take advantage of this brief moment of safety to leave Jerusalem and travel out at the edges of Palestine, out kind of into the rest of the Roman Empire. He wants to visit the Christian refugees. He wants to visit all the Christians who fled Jerusalem to escape persecution and make sure that they're all right, that they're getting established, that they're safe. So we'll begin Uh, Peter's journey in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Meanwhile, let me uh, do the version that's going to be on your screen. Now as Peter went here and there among all believers, no, that's not it, so so do this one. (laughs) Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, yes, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydia. There he met a man named Aeneas who had been paralyzed, bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydia and Sharon saw Aeneas walking and they turned to the Lord. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. I know, but she was a nice gal. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydia, so they sent two men to beg him, Please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him up to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. Then Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers and he presented her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town and many believed in the Lord. Two beautiful stories. Peter goes to a town to a paralyzed man and to a dead woman. Through him the Lord heals one and raises the other from the dead. The whole city hears about it and turns to God. As beautiful as the story is, I bet that we all have one burning question this morning as we come to the medical tent. Why doesn't he do this for everyone? More importantly, what we really probably want to know is, why didn't he do it for me? Why didn't God raise my dying mother or father? Grandmother or grandfather? Son or daughter? I'm called a few times a year to the hospital to pray for someone who is dying. And I pray that God will do a miracle, that they will be healed and they will live. But so far, that has not happened. We're always praying for healing. Lord, take away my addiction before it destroys my family. Lord, heal my child's illness. Heal my child's learning disability. Heal my child's behavior disorder. I know of a woman who was part of a church movement uh, that believed if you had enough faith, God would heal everything every time. You just had to have enough faith. And so she set out with all the faith she had to pray for her husband as he was dying of cancer. But he died. Feeling that her faith must need to take some more steps at the funeral, whenever mourners came up to her and said, we're sorry for your loss, she said, don't be sorry for me. I have confidence that the Lord is going to raise him from the dead at this funeral today. But the funeral ended and the graveside ended and they lowered him into the ground and they covered him over. Feeling that surely she had just not displayed enough faith yet, she refused to leave the cemetery. She stayed on his grave praying and fasting for three days and two nights until she was finally removed to a psychiatric facility. That's a tough story. So one of the first things we have to do at the medical tent this morning is we have to get our theology straight on healing. So let's do that together. Let's say nothing but true things about healing for a short time here at the medical tent. And the first true thing we can say is we trust in God for healing. Jesus says this many times to people. He says, your faith has healed you. Your trust in the power of God has healed you. That is how it works. But I want you to know that the opposite is not necessarily true. Yes, your faith in God, your faith in the power of God, the power of God can bring healing to you. But the opposite isn't always true. That if you're not healed, it means you didn't have enough faith. I should choose my words carefully. I should say, if you're not healed when you want to be. I should say, if you're not healed when you want to be, because the truth is that everyone who trusts in God will eventually be healed at the return of Christ and the resurrection of the body. Then there will be neither death nor sorrow nor crying nor pain for the old things have passed away. Some will be healed in miraculous moments before the return of Christ as a sign of God's kingdom come. Here's the truth about healing. All healing is the work of God. There's never been a healing that wasn't the work of God. See, doctors don't actually heal people. Any good doctor would tell you this. Doctors have techniques and great learning to do things that will trigger your body to respond in a healing way, right? When you, when you get a cut and a doctor stitches it, glues it, or staples it, that didn't heal you. It just brings the skin close enough together and they get, the, get it clean, and that will usually stimulate your body then to reach across that wound and close it. But it doesn't always happen, does it? When a doctor prescribes you medication, that doesn't bring you healing. That causes your body to regulate itself differently, to do less of this and more of that, and that will put things on the right course. But your body doesn't always respond to medication, does it? Doctors have amazing techniques to put your body in a place where the healing powers are released, but the healing powers come from somewhere else. So I was in a small group for the last year where we were reading a book on miracles. The book was nearly impossible to understand. It was literally the worst time of reading I've ever had in a small group. <laughs> but, and I picked the book, so I was really happy I'd done that to everybody. <laughs> there was someone in the group, when we'd have our prayer time, who was uh, suffering from a condition, and it was tough. And they tried a lot of different treatments. And finally the surgeon said to my friend, you are not responding to treatment. And I'm out of ideas. Basically saying, I think you're going to have to live with this. We were reading a book on miracles. So we said, well, let us pray. And a week later, he came back and said, I think something's happening. And two weeks later, he came back and said, I'm healed. I believe it was a miracle. And I'm happy that since we were taking all that time to read a book on miracles, that God gave us one. It made the difficulty of the reading somehow worth it. (laughs) Some miracles happen at a specific time, and a specific place, To serve as a sign of God's kingdom. So let's see it in our passage this morning. Peter goes to a man who's been paralyzed. That man is healed. And that is a wonderful story. Uh, However, the truth is, hundreds of people are going to recover from paralysis today in our world. Many of them will have the wisdom to praise God for that healing. But the truth is, our God is Always healing paralyzed people. In Lydia, at this time, he does it to announce that the kingdom of God is now going beyond Palestine. It's going out into the Roman world as a demonstration to that city of Lydia that this is the type of thing that the kingdom of God is going to be about. Here is your preview and here is your sign. Has anyone here ever been partially paralyzed or completely paralyzed and recovered? Has anyone here ever been partially paralyzed or completely paralyzed and recovered? A guy in first service—he only raise his hand this high. So you need a little more prayer, evidently. So, but uh, yes, this was a sign of the kingdom of God. This was a sign of the kingdom of God, and someday all who are paralyzed, who trust in God, will be healed. So in the other story, Peter goes to a woman who has died. He raises her from the dead. That is amazing. But the truth is that hundreds of people are going to code today. Their heart is going to stop. Their breathing is going to stop. And then they're going to come back. Some will even be pronounced dead and later stir. Some of them will even have strange stories about having seen God. Some will praise God. This probably will be a smaller group, but has anyone here ever died? You stopped breathing, your heart stopped beating, and then you were alive again. It's a sign of the kingdom of God to come. And someday at the resurrection, all will be raised. Every single person will be raised. Some will be raised to enter the kingdom of God. Some who have chosen otherwise will not. Which one will you be? And I want to tell you, if your eyes are open, you're going to see all sorts of signs of the kingdom of God. They will come to you Just when you need them. Just when you need them. So when I uh, decided to leave church employment many years ago to go to seminary to try to become a pastor, um, I left a paycheck. I had to live on the good graces and the gifts of others. We had just had a son. We still had outstanding medical bills with him. $970. Kids were cheaper back then. $970. Now, with our daughter, they had been content just to take payments along the way in good faith, but something in the billing community had changed in the intervening two years, and they wanted their $970 in 30 days, or we're going to collections. I didn't know what we were going to do. and began to doubt that this leaving ministry for the possibility of someday being a pastor was a good idea. And then a card came in the mail from one of you. And in that card, one of you wrote that the Lord had put our family on your heart and that you had felt moved to send us a check. And then you apologized in the card for the oddball amount of the check, but said that you were in a season of trying to be really obedient to God and you just wrote down the number that you thought He gave you. That number was $970. And it was a sign to our family of the kingdom of God. and Maybe this journey was going to turn out all right. Now plenty of times when we hit a financial snag, we don't get magic money from an angel and a card. Sometimes we just have to work it off and make some sacrifices like everybody else. And I know what you're saying. We're we're at the medical tent. We're supposed to be talking about healing. And you're talking about financial miracles. Most of my miracles are the financial sort. The only healing story I have, I don't like to tell. But you're going to like a lot. So um, remember the first Lakeland camp? So they have the blob. It's this big inflatable, gigantic inflatable thing. And you, you sit out here and somebody jumps off a diving board. And when they hit it, it launches you into the lake. So at, let's say, 30 something, I thought this would be a great idea. So I get on the inflatable blob and the person jumps off. And when that bag inflates at the speed of light, I might add, it uh, flicks my ankle out at a right angle and there's a shooting pain through it and I climb out and it is messed up. I can't put any weight on the thing. It gets worse through the day. I lay down that night. The pressure of it laying on a pillow was too much. And I thought, this is the first time we've done this. I'm leading an adventure camp and I can't walk. And I prayed, God, please forgive me for my foolishness. If you'll just have mercy on me and heal me. And then I fell asleep. I woke up in the morning and I put both feet on the floor and it felt fine. I was walking around really carefully to brush my teeth. But I didn't feel anything. There was no lingering soreness. It was, there was nothing. I felt, it felt like nothing had ever happened. I got out of the cabin. I walked the chapel for prayers. I thought, I bet I could jog the chapel. I jogged to the chapel. It was fine. It was totally fine. We had the prayers. It was amazing. I was so excited that as soon as chapel went out, I ran right back down to the blob and thought, I'm going to do that again. So I got on the blob, and the person jumped off. God bless you, Jason Watson. And. And it flicked my ankle out to the right at the speed of sound and there was a tearing and it was horrible and I limped and a scripture came to me in that moment. I'm not quite sure which one. It was kind of muddied by the pain, but it was either somewhere between uh, thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test or as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. There was no second healing. I was on crutches for six weeks. And uh, the Lord spoke to me in a sign that said, you're too old for this sort of thing. (laughs) Now, all my physical ailments don't go away. And someday, one of those physical ailments is going to win the battle over this body. And I will go through the stages of grief, and there'll be maybe a year in there where I'm really angry and feel really cheated but what I can't do is get stuck in that stage where for longer than a year, I'm still throwing a tantrum to God saying it's not fair. It's not fair that some people get to be part of a sign of God's kingdom and a healing, and I don't. I can't do that because it denies God's master plan. I want, to, I want to tell you about master plans. So I have a master plan that someday my children will know how to take care of their own home. So as part of that master plan, I give them chores. And I also want them to understand, while the consequences are still low, the dangers of procrastination. So sometimes I don't make a real big deal about the chores... And things start mounting up. You know, it gets to where there are animals nesting in the kitchen amongst the dishes. And then they want to go do something fun. And I say, hey, I'm sorry, but you've got days worth of chores backed up. You've got to clear all that backlog before you can go out. They really like that a lot. (laughs) But sometimes something supersedes that part of the plan. That's not the only wish I have for my children. I have other wishes for them. So some nights when I, th- when I know my, have known my wife is going to be working late, but she wants to come home and make us a great dinner, and I look at that kitchen and know that she won't even fit in there amongst all that, I will clean the kitchen to make a space for her to do her thing. And when I do that, the child not assigned to the kitchen throws a tantrum and says, you just did their chore for them. You never do my chores for me. I said I don't let them go, go do fun things until the chores are done, but on some nights I have let them, for instance, go on a youth group trip here with the church. Said, your chores aren't done, go on the youth night and get them done when you get back. Because on that night, I feel like it's more important for them to have Christian fellowship and Christian community than it is to have another lesson about how to vacuum the stairs. But when I do that, the other child says, that's not fair. You're letting them go do something fun when their chores aren't done. You never let me go do something fun when my chores aren't done. And sometimes, when they have fought the good fight with homework, they had a lot, but they they dug in there and they did it. Sometimes when they have been honest with me at a time when it would have been really easy to lie. Sometimes when they're just weak, You know, they had the flu or something. They're back, but they're weak. Sometimes as a gift, maybe like once a year, I'll clean their room for them. And the other kid says, you never clean my room for me. I try to explain to them there are multiple master plans overlapping in this moment. I'm trying to honor other things. I try to explain to them what I'm doing. They do not, will not understand it. Sometimes I need to make room for my wife's kitchen magic. Sometimes I need to see their fatigue and lighten their load. Sometimes I need to break a rebellious spirit. Sometimes I need to say I love you in a way and in a moment when I think they're doubting it. But they can't see any of that. In their mind, they would rather I either do everybody's chores for everyone all the time or for the sake of fairness, never do anyone's chores for them. They they can't see the master plan. In the same way, sometimes with healing, we either would like God to always heal everyone every time, or for the sake of clarity, never heal anyone. But that all denies the master plan. The truth is, God will heal all who trust Him with resurrection power, some will be part of a preview of the resurrection power and the healing power of God along the way. And they'll be part of it for reasons and at times only God understands. And it's part of our training as followers to be able to accept that we don't see all the things that are overlapping in the mind of God that lead one to be healed and one not. For every single one of you, if your eyes are open to see it, there will be Miracles along the way of the healing variety and of all sorts of varieties. If your eyes are open to see it, just enough to tell you what is to come and remind you of it again. What real difference does it make when the miracle happens, so long as it happens? And there's one other thing we have to say at the medical tent to understand healing. And that is that God is near to the brokenhearted. So say the scriptures. Jesus was a man acquainted with suffering. Jesus knows what it is to suffer. So when you are not healed, it does not mean you are overlooked by God, it does not mean you are forgotten, it does not mean you did not have enough faith. God does not reject the brokenhearted and the suffering. He may be the, He's the only conception of God that's ever even claimed to know what suffering is. God is with you who suffer. And I and the elders and everyone in here, we will still pray every time when your journey takes you to the medical tent that you will be healed that you will be rescued, that you will be restored every time you're in a time of trouble or sickness or dying. And when God intervenes, we will tell the story of what God has done. It was a sign of the kingdom to come. You know, the hardest my story to get people to tell here is a healing story. Most people won't do it. I think they have survivor's guilt. They would hate to talk about God healing them when they know some of you aren't healed. But it's a sign of what will come through the power of God to everyone. And it's all right to tell the story. Also, when it doesn't happen, we'll say over every single one, not this time, but soon. Soon the kingdom of God and the resurrection will come. There's only one right way to end this service, and that is to pray for healing. So let's give a few moments here to praying for healing, either where you are, through the lighting of a candle, or through the anointing of oil, as the scriptures teach us. And it's the right thing to do this morning. Let us pray. This week, may God give you whatever sign of the kingdom you need at the moment when you need it the most to know that he is with you. And his kingdom is coming. Amen.